0: Hey, LifeBridge, we're back having another conversation. And uh, our last one was on progressivism, it's the first of three episodes basically on how left-leaning and, and progressive ideals do not always line up uh, with what we believe are, are Christian biblical values. And so we did the first three episodes on that, and we're going to do two more, one on politics and one on the church. But first, um, but first, we wanted to, to take a break from that and talk about race today because there is a lot happening both nationally uh, around the conversation around race, and um, but also locally. It's, it's been a conversation and a hot topic for about a year now, and so we kind of wanted to check back in on that and talk through it for just a few minutes.
1: So, yeah, there have been a lot of high-profile um, incidences of racial tension in the news, especially between police officers and minorities that have caught the national attention lately. So, obviously, the, the Chauvin conviction came down last week, and um, that has been global news. it's been, mm-hmm. Everybody's been talking about that one, so we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but otherwise, there was a 13-year-old young man in Chicago who was, who was shot by police officers after running away, threw his gun to the side, turned around with his hands up, and got shot. In Columbus, Ohio, a 16-year-old girl with a knife was shot, and in Minnesota... It was only, I mean, it wasn't far from Minneapolis, right, where the Chauvin trial was going on, where the Minnesota police officer mistook her gun for a taser and uh, shot uh, a young man. So this has been in the news a lot lately. People have been talking about it. And just looking at the list here of these incidents all in front of me, like, man, these are all very different cases with a lot of different details going on around them. So I think... For all of us, if we're kind of just in a binary view of what happened in all of these cases, um, I think that's I think that's pretty telling for how we're maybe not doing good faith discovery, um, as we talked about before. Mm-hmm. Um, with each of these cases being so different, but um, in in any sense, there's a lot of a lot of room to grieve about these. That our our heart should just kind of I think feel a little heavy when we talk about these. Various news stories. First and foremost, that's where my heart goes. Is just, oh, just kind of like a, a deep sense of grief and sadness over the, the reality of of people losing their lives and how sad that can be.
0: Yeah, we've said this many times, but I think we sometimes we're so desensitized in some ways to death that we forget the severity of what's going on in these situations, and we forget to just. To weigh that and give it the weight it deserves, the gravity of what's happening—a life is being taken—and uh, it's heartbreaking. It's it's absolutely heartbreaking. And and reading some of the stories, I mean, with 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 a couple of these kids and just um and just sort of the, the other things that are clearly going on there, um, the challenges they have, mental illness, and it's gut wrenching um, to see this happening. It's also really sad. I think for me, I've been sort of like settling into settling into this reality of a new normal that these sorts of things will be a part of our life for as long as we have crime. And I think we'll continue to have crime for as long as we continue to have police officers. And I think that we need police officers. We are going to continue to have videos that come out like this. And I, I'm careful to remind myself that that, that has more to do with technology than it does with an, an increase or anything like that, that we can actually point to and say, why is this happening so much more now? I think it really is more about just the fact that we have access to the information now. Mm -hmm. Um, but that is like that's sort of our new reality, you know. Right. I always remind myself when these things happen. I nobody is asking me to make a determination in this situation. Nobody is asking me to be judge and jury. I can I can simply grieve the situation, pray for the families, ask God um, to bring comfort to the to the people involved. Mm-hmm. I always try to remember people are. People are hurting when when one of these shootings happen, or you know, a, a person of color is shot, and their community is grieving. Sometimes that looks like anger. Sometimes that looks looks a lot of different ways. But I always try to remember that they're grieving in a way that I don't fully understand. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that everything that has been done during those grieving processes is justifiable. We know that's not true, but they're grieving, and uh, the comparison I always make is. When, as a pastor when someone at a funeral does a eulogy and says something that is just in my in my mind incorrect, they say, you know my mom's an angel now and I'm like, well she's not an angel. <laughs> you know I'd, I would never walk up to that person and, and correct them. I don't think that that's the moment to do that. Mm-hmm. We have a sense of how to grieve with someone and how to care for people in those moments and um, I think as people and certainly as Christians, we need to do a better job of understanding how to extend that same instinct, to situations around around race and around um, things like this that are, are sort of just outside of totally what we understand in, in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a lot of ways, it's good that we have
1: these um, these videos coming out and the opportunities for more um, awareness around these things that are happening in inner cities and especially with with minorities and revolving around policing and and how these things happen for for improvement to take place like that's that's all we're asking for i think as a community of people is to improve to get better um and to continue to make progress in these areas and yeah like you said i think that is that is so good for us to just remember that we don't have to make a moral decision right now um in our 24-hour news cycle That's what happens, right? Something like this happens and whichever, uh, whichever news station you turn on, they're making moral decisions about this incident immediately. Mm -hmm. In which case we step back and we're like, how and why, (laughs) why do we have to do this? Mm -hmm. Um, and one instance that is, I mentioned earlier is the Chauvin case. Um, it, it has taken time. And in my assessment, the system here worked the system has brought charges and those charges were investigated, those charges were explored, evidence was brought to the court. Um, and this a decision was made by a jury. And Chauvin was convicted on all three charges and I've been listening to you know, everybody. every podcast that I listened to had was talking about this case mm-hmm. um, earlier this week when I when I went and looked on my podcast. and all over the spectrum, like different decisions and different opinions on, what happened, what should have happened, the decision that was made, all of the everything down to like certain, um, certain convictions should not have, or, or certain charges should not have landed a conviction. Mm-hmm. Others should have, like, oh man. And, and basically the first thing that I walked away from listening to these was like, man, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. Like, right. I don't, I honestly don't know if you know, a murder conviction fits. Sure. The definition here or not. And I'm relying on a source to mm-hmm. tell me if this does fit that definition or not. Um, so it comes down to the decision of which source am I trusting on these decisions. Because <laughs> right, right. honestly, I don't know. I didn't pass the bar. I have no clue what mm-hmm. I'm talking about. Um, so that was the, my first impulse was to like to resist being the lawyer in this scenario and playing lawyer. Yeah.
0: And and there's a lot of, there's a lot of people doing that. They're playing doctor, coroner, lawyer. Yeah. Right. And, um, I think with some pretty mixed intentions, right? For sure. So why, what, why are you digging in and uh, digging in and saying, well, technically it wasn't a, this or this is a situation where severe consequences were needed, Mm -hmm. were appropriate, um, very severe consequences. And, um, some of the other incidents that, that we mentioned before that have happened over the last couple of years, there's, there's videos I watch where I say, like, gosh, that's a split-second decision, and um, it's tragic, and I don't know. I, I am very cautious to judge a police officer in that situation because I've never been a police officer, and I don't know what I would do in those 0.4 seconds, right? Mm-hmm. This was not 0.4 seconds. This was a very long time that uh, this guy had, a, had an opportunity to make a better decision for George Floyd, um, and he, he didn't do it. He continued. I don't know anybody that could not at some point over the course of minutes say, I think maybe I'm hurting this guy in a way that's unnecessary and I should stand up. Right. What he did was clearly despicable. And so I don't really understand some of that discourse. I understand people have audiences they're trying to appease and money they're trying to make and ads are trying to sell. But, um, but yeah, miss me with playing lawyer stuff. This was not a split second decision and, uh, and the consequences need to be severe for something like that.
1: Exactly. Now, the severity of that punishment um, will be decided still, but justice is what we should be after. Like when there is an injustice done, there needs to be punitive justice in response, right?
0: But also our system of justice and enforcement, there's the proactive part, which is like police officers protecting serving preventing mm-hmm. and then there's the reactive part which is all right now there's consequences right Yep. and so in a sense the system failed for sure right, because right. justice was not done when officers responded to that incident when george floyd encountered derek Chauvin mm-hmm. and, he, and he killed him right right so there is a sense in which of course what happened to him still is unjust yes we right. know that right but in terms of our legal system applying consequences as a response to that. We would both say that yes, the punishment fits the crime. It's a right. just right. Um, response, exactly. And and what we see right
1: now is people is kind of talking over each other with their different definition of the term justice, right? Like some right. are talking in the sense of punitive justice as being the retribution. Like I used it earlier, like the system where justice was done in that sense. Yes, justice mm-hmm. was done. There was a crime. So we talk about the justice system as punishing injustice, punishing wrong, right? And in that sense, justice was done. But even in the biblical sense, justice also can be used as a term for just like righteousness, doing the right thing. In which case, what Chauvin did was a grave injustice and was wrong and evil, right? So what we see now is people who are saying like, no, justice wasn't done. What would have been... What would have been just is George Floyd being home with his family right now, right? and absolutely, sure, uh, and it all so it all just depends on how we're using the term justice,
0: I was very thankful that. There was not a, a sort of a closing of ranks around this guy, and, and I think we have seen that at times mm-hmm. where systems close ranks around an officer who's done wrong, and right. I'm glad to see that that didn't happen here, certainly. I, I want to talk a little bit about the discourse when when a police officer takes someone's life in, in whatever capacity that they do that or whatever the situation was. One of the things that is it's a very common discourse device in very extreme conservative media types to make a comparison between a police officer and a criminal and say, why wasn't there this much outrage when so-and-so shot so-and-so, or why isn't there this outrage every day in Chicago because there's gang violence or or whatever. And it's not just in Chicago, that's just the example people always use. So one of the things um, we want to talk about for just a minute is the idea of police officers being held to a higher standard than civilians. Neither of us have ever been police officers. We are both pastors, and we do have some understanding of what it means to be held to a higher standard than others for the same thing. And so in that regard, those comparisons are to me aren't valid. I don't teach my kids that people who are in a gang are safe people for them to find and trust and ask for help. I teach them that about police officers. And so that there is a higher standard that that police officers are held to and should be held to. Mm-hmm. So we should actually, I think, be more outraged and more saddened when someone who we are supposed to trust, when someone who our taxes pay, when someone who we teach our kids is a safe person, when someone who wears that uniform wears that badge, when they do something like that, it should cause more um, pushback, more outrage. Mm -hmm. We understand that because we know that there there are things that, John, you or I could do right now that if somebody else did this, if somebody else had this relationship or somebody else made this mistake, it would probably ruin their life and their family to some degree. Mm -hmm. And for us, it could potentially become a national news story. Right. Because we're pastors. Yep. And so we understand what it means to be held to a higher standard for some things. Mm-hmm. And we should be. Right. We should be. Because if you come to our church, you entrust us with your kids to a certain degree. You entrust us with with helping try to teach you truth. You're entrusting us with something you don't trust and trust very many people with. Mm-hmm. And we need to be held accountable to that trust that you've given us.
1: Right. Yeah, there's a there's a difference between Bill Hybels versus Jeff Bezos. And right. there's, there's a reason for that, right? Because right. Bill Hybels was entrusted by his church community and by the entire, by many pastors within in the nation who were looking to him for spiritual guidance and direction and moral clarity. And then when he has that failing, it, it hits a little harder, it's more significant. And in the same way, police officers who, as a community with our tax dollars, we are paying to arm them and to uh, give them the The license to help keep us safe that comes with a, a higher responsibility, and that is a good thing. It's an honorable thing, and I know m- most police officers take that very seriously. That the community that it, it, it is an honor for them, just like you know you and I as pastors take that as an honor, right? To be in a position of authority, and and therefore we are held to a higher standard, and that's a, that's a biblical that's a biblical imperative that not many of us should be aspiring to be teachers. Right. Right. Because we are held to a higher standard.
0: Right. And I mean, please don't hear this as, as us thinking we know how police officers should do their jobs or that we think we could do it better than the, nothing like that. Just the simple idea that, that they are held to a higher standard for a reason. And they should be, there are reasons for that. And they're actually not difficult to understand. When I send my kid to safety town, we don't teach them to trust everybody. Mm-hmm. We teach them to trust a few people. And one of those people is your local neighborhood police officer. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's a good thing. I have no hesitation to teach my kids that I, cause I, I think that most cops are good and can be trusted. Mm-hmm. And the ones that I know, certainly I, I believe that about um, the ones in our community. I believe that about, mm-hmm. I am very, I'm very hesitant in a lot of situations to, to judge the actions of a police officer. And I've never been there, mm-hmm. you know, um, I'm very cautious to do that. And th- that's not, that's not the heart behind this at all, but police officers should be held to a higher standard. Even sometimes when it is a mistake, um, that, that cops make that I will never be in the position of making, but I've, you know, I've made the choice with my life to put, not put myself in that position where I'm going to have to make those decisions. I respect people who do. I'm so thankful that we have people who are willing to, to sign up to do that. um, I do worry that if on the current path that we're on, we're going to be out of good people willing to sign up to do that very right, quickly. Right.
1: Yeah. And on that note, I think it's, I mean, it's totally fair and right that we do hold out more grace for those split second decisions where um, an officer is put in a place where they have to make a decision between where at least they sense that it's their life or the other person's life. Like, mm-hmm. and that is their responsibility and that is their role to uphold the law and to do justice in that
0: sense. Right. In the Columbus, Ohio case, it's right. Someone, someone looks like they're about to get killed unless I intervene. Yeah. I mean, and you've got a second to, I mean, these are, these are not, these are not decisions that it's helpful for me to, to watch a slow motion video on Twitter and decide what I would have done. Like I actually know exactly that's not real life.
1: Right. And so we do, we do need to hold out grace for those situations and for those scenarios to me, the Chauvin case is not that with his knee on the back of George Floyd's neck for nine and a half minutes. That's, uh, that's a, a very different time. thing. That's a whole different scenario. Right. Um, so it's a
0: very different thing. Yeah. Wisdom,
1: right. <laughs> wisdom in judging and assessing these situations.
0: I want to move the conversation locally because there is racial tension in our community as well. And there has been for, um, for about a year now. And I want to take a few minutes to talk about what's been happening around the issue of race in, in our town in, in Burlington. So recently the
1: DPI put out a report on some um, allegations within the Burlington Area School District. And basically what they found is that the Burlington Area School District didn't respond sufficiently to some of the reports of racism that came to their attention. And they should have done more. So there's uh, there's a lot to that, and I'm not going to get into the specifics of it. But that was the findings of the report, and that's kind of spurred this conversation
0: again in our community. So we thought it would be appropriate for us to talk about it. Both of us, we send our kids to school in the, in this district, and it's obviously a majority white district. And So it's interesting to think about those dynamics and, and reading through that report. I think there's there's a little bit of a tendency to you know there's an instance in the report and you can look at it and say like well that could have been anything that could have been this that could have been that but what the report does sort of point to is if you zoom out from each individual instance and just kind of look at a little bit of a trend here not necessarily that there's you know active racism amongst teachers in the school or anything like that more so that um, more so that there amongst students racial bullying is a problem and that it maybe hasn't been Addressed with the care and to the level that it should have been, and that's something that's honestly just difficult for me to even totally process and understand. Like, I've never, um, I've certainly never been the victim of racial bullying, and so I think it is worthwhile to just stop before we, before we read through a report like that and try to pick it apart. I think it's worthwhile to stop and say, do I really understand what what that means? You know,
1: I think our first instinct is, in in this cultural setting, is to just like dismiss the information, or kind of um, discredit the DPI report, for example, and say, no, 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 yeah, but this didn't, this doesn't line up, this doesn't make sense, yeah, 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 and just go through that and try to discredit all of that. Um, and and the report may not be perfect, but I would encourage us all to like hit the pause button if we find ourselves just going through this report and hearing any story on social media, whatever, and just picking it apart and saying, like, like this, this is problematic, and here is why. and Therefore, I don't have to believe it. We've talked about this at length in our previous podcasts about information and media and how we tend to consume information and come to truth now and how we do some bad faith discovery, we called it. Mm-hmm. So can I go back to that and just and pause and think about why we're doing that first before we, um, before we just discredit all of it and then go on with our preconceived notion? At least empathize. So start there. I <laughs> can Start with the empathy. Um, and empathize with the situation and what's going on. Um, because a lot of these things, like, I mean, my kids are young. They, we haven't heard about them. We haven't heard about these things happening in our classrooms or in our immediate context. Um, but I think what we need to do is take that step back and empathize first and foremost and recognize that this, this is something that is happening in our community and something that we should take seriously.
0: We don't have a lot to say really today. We don't have a lot Mm -hmm. to say about that report or the findings of the report or what's happening in the schools. But I think one thing that's clear is in the last year, we have definitely seen that there are still some very real racial tensions and issues in our community. It's not, I mean, I've had enough personal experiences to know that it's not, this is not just hype. There are real um there are real tensions, and there are, and there are real people who respond very angrily to the idea that anything needs to be done about it. This is not nothing. We're not trying to make more of it than what it is. Um, we'd encourage you to read the report for yourself and and uh, and try to sift through it if you'd like to. But I think we've seen in the last year that we live in a community and we are part of a church in a community that is not racially whole. We are not uh, both within the body of Christ and, and, and certainly outside of it, we are not in a post-racial in a post-racial community in a post-racial world. These issues and these tensions they exist, and I think as a church, as a predominantly white church in a predominantly white place, I think we need to think about and ask ourselves what what do we want? What do we want to do with that information? Because it's not a question of whether or not it's there; it is there. We have to desire.
1: Unity. We have to desire um, making minorities feel comfortable in our community. So I think that's like one of the first questions we should ask ourselves: is Is that something that we actually want? Um, a while back, I was preaching a sermon on unity within the church, and that was kind of where we started. It was like, do we do we actually want this? Like, do we want a diverse experience within the church? Do we want to, or, or do we do we want to just have a homogenous group that all looks the same, acts the same and feels the same way about most important issues. So do we, do we actually want that? Do we desire that in our community and for our community? I think that's a good place to start.
0: Yeah. And I I think that's the, that's sort of the key heart issue that we can think about is simply that, do we want people who are in the minority to feel welcome here? When you think about hospitality um, and what it means to be hospitable to someone, it's the idea of making someone feel welcome. And I think that's something that we all have a natural tendency towards is that idea of like, I need to go above and beyond in this instance to make them feel welcome. And I think for, for people that are like me, so we're white in an almost entirely white town, it's not just a question of, am I racist in the sense of, do I have, um, do I have active prejudice in my heart? I think the better question for Christians who are white in a town like ours is to say, is there any part of me that's willing to go above and beyond to make someone who does not always feel welcome and is not in the majority, am I willing to go above and beyond to make them feel welcome here? And what would that look like?
1: Again, we're not calling everybody in our community a racist. We're not calling everybody in our church a racist. Um, But we do think that as Christians, part of our response when we hear reports like this, should be like in just about everything else to uh, pray the prayer, search me, Oh God, and know my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me. So i we can't know this externally for the most part. Um, but as Christians, we should really dig into, dig into our own heart, our own motivations and our, our, our desires for diversity, for community, to make people feel welcome. I think that's a good start. Um, and to be, to be loving, to be kind, to create a community where we just love one another. And that's like the Christian ideal of our church. And we want that to take place, take root in our church and then continue to grow
0: into our community. Amen. We don't have much more to say about this right now, but we do want people as, as it's a continuing conversation in our community, it's hard to see our, the name of our community tied to like a racially hostile environment, I think is the language being used that's going to tempt us towards a very negative response and a very kind of defensive posture and response. And I think a defensive posture is not the way towards more wisdom, towards being closer to the center of God's will. Um, If there's racism in our community, we want it to be gone. If there's minorities in our community who do not feel welcome, we want them to feel welcome and embraced here and say, Hey, if you want this place to be your home, we want it to feel like home for you. Um, and if there's resistance to that, um, there should not be. And if there are opportunities for us to help and be a part of that, there might be ways for us to be involved in that process to, to make Burlington a place that truly is welcoming for people. It's not just about this one DPI report from the school district. There is real racial tension and there is real resistance among white people to, to go out of their way to make people feel welcome. And as Christians, um, that's not a resistance that we should have. If you have uh, questions, feedback, anything, anything like that for us, of course, as always, feel free to reach out. Thanks for listening.